Encore with Claire O'Brien, arts and entertainment for the Midlands. Well, you're welcome to Encore this evening. The Athlone native who is bringing songs of joy into stories and the novel that is Breaking Point and Breaking Breaking Hearts. We'll be talking to Edel Coffey a little later on in the programme. You're welcome to Midlands 103's dedicated arts show with the best of what is happening in, around and about in culture and the arts in Leash, Offaly and Westmeath every Thursday evening between 7 and 8 o'clock. Encore at midlands103.com is the email address. I would love to hear from you if you're out and about. And 083 30 10 103 is the Lamb Brothers Midlands 103 text line. Tonight on the programme I will be chatting to Cathy McCarthy and she's a native of Athlone. She's just published her third book. It is about the Waterford High Hopes Choir and it's a wonderful story. It's a heartwarming story. She's absolutely at the heart of it and it has done extraordinarily good work. Um, interesting connection there of the music and the voice and the writing as well. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to Cathy a little bit later on in the programme. I'm also going to bring you an interview I did last week with Edel Coffey and you may know Edel's voice um, very, very well known journalist, was uh, an arts reporter for quite a long time and she has just published her first novel and it is one that you may also have heard a lot of. It's called Breaking Point and it's been very, very, very heavily advertised and publicised and it's a thriller. It's not what I would have expected from Edel. Indeed, it's not what she would have expected from herself. It's not what she had planned. But it's an extraordinary story of um, that awful nightmare scenario that you know, happens all over the world. We read those stories and our hearts just sink. Um, what happens to somebody who seems to have their entire life together is struggling to hold it all together and then uh, a baby is left in a car on a hot day and does not survive and what happens then as a result. So I'll be chatting to Idel about the process of writing that book and the, the kind of insight that it took to bring her to it. So we're going to start tonight, I think, with a little bit of music. Um, Seamat just has the most amazing voice, doesn't she? And I think that that is where we'll start this evening, bring you this terrific song. Um, It's called Lonely and you're going to hear it now on Encore on Midlands 103. She's super, isn't she? That is Seamat and the song is called Lonely and she's just terrific. Kira Mary Alice Thompson and um, it's great back catalogue of songs there that she has too built up over the last little while. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back I'll be talking to Cathy McCarthy. She is a native of Athlone. She has lived in Waterford. She's now living in Dublin um, but she has been doing extraordinary things uh, with the books that she has been writing and her most recent one uh, will lift your heart I think. Stay with us here on Encore on Midlands 103 and we'll be chatting to Cathy after the break. And you're very welcome back to Encore and still to come I'll be chatting to author Idal Coffey about her extraordinary thriller Breaking Point but right now I'm joined on the line by somebody who's a very different story to tell. She's an Athlone native, she's an author and she has raised thousands and thousands of euros for 
worthy worthy causes, particularly one uh, that will put a song in your heart. And I'm joined on the line now by Cathy McCarthy. Cathy, you're welcome to Encore. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. It's lovely to have you on the programme. Uh, tell me, I can't imagine that when you were growing up in Deer, Car- Deer Park in Athlone, uh, did you ever see that you would have been raising this kind of money for charity, scores of thousands of euro, and also um, writing three books as well? No, absolutely not. No, I was the, um, the shyest person in the class. I was quite quiet. Um, I did love English. And um, I just never imagined this would be my journey at this stage of my life. Um, I suppose it all goes back to I had cancer in 2007 and I've recovered really well. I have breast cancer. And about two years after I had my, you know, came out of cancer in 2009, I really, when I was going through my treatment, I felt there was little information out there about the ordinary, um, simple things like your eyebrows, your hair, your clothes. Little things like that that actually got me through my journey. Very, very, very important to me to look well and to be the best I could be for my children and for myself. And I wrote this book called Not the Year You Had Planned. And it just it just details, it's not just, it's not really my, it's not a memoir, it's not any kind of a, it's not my story. It's more about trying to give people information about to deal with um, the hair issues and the different things that you come across every day um, when you're dealing with cancer. And it was just very important. I, I wanted to pass on the information that I had, I had, I had garnered over the couple of years. And um, I did that, and that was my first book. And then my second book came about when I realised that um, when you come out of your treatment and out of cancer, there's a whole new journey to face with trying to get back uh, to some kind of a normal mm. life, whatever that is. And um, I really, really felt very strongly about that and even still do since. And I wrote my second book called Stronger Than Yesterday. And it's a book for anybody. It's not just for cancer. It's for anybody going through adversity. And it's trying to help you to see how you can live every day as best you can. And with, because, you know, a cancer diagnosis or a heart disease or anything to do with any major health issue is really challenging. And people underestimate People would say to you, oh, you're grand now and you're back to normal and you're great. But they have no idea what's in your head. And I found it took me a long time to, I went to do a few courses and mindfulness and yoga and stuff like that to try mm-hmm. and get myself back into society again, I suppose, really. And I really, and I, yeah, I mean, that's why I wrote the second book. And where and did that become part of, of your life? The, the idea that, you know, I, I've, I've had an experience. I have learned something really important and other people need to know this. Uh, and, and I have to share it with them. Did you have examples of that growing up? Was was something that, that, that was no, important in your home? I can't. I can't explain it to you about. Um, I remember saying to a friend of mine, I'd love to write a book and get all my tips down. And she said, why don't you? And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. I'd never be able to do that. Really? I remember I was honestly, oh, I swear, honest to God, Clary, I mean this. I was traveling to um, Enniscorthy one day and I was driving on my own. And you know the way I turned off the radio and I began to think about the book. And I couldn't get the book out of my head, a shape of a book or a sound of a book. And I came back and I took out a notebook and I started writing stuff down. And I just couldn't believe, I had no idea this was my journey. I genuinely hadn't. I just never thought I could do it. And when I look, even to this day, the book, now my first book is about 14 years old. It's about 11, 12, 13 years old. And I still look at it and I still think, 
I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> People are actually reading it. Honestly, no, I would be very, I'm very humble about it all because I just, I suppose I never would have seen myself being that kind of person who could anyway inspire people or be um, an advocate for stuff like that. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't see myself like that as a person. And and then you, not only did you write the second book, but you donated the proceeds of it. Tell me about the, about the first 50% and then the second 50%, because that second 50% took you on a, a really interesting journey. Um, yeah. So, tell me about the first yeah, 50% first. Yeah. Well, the first, um, my first book, all the money went to two cancer support centres in Dublin, uh, sorry, in Iatala and Sligo. And then the second book, I decided I, I'm not going to, I don't really want to give it just to cancer because it's not just a cancer story or it's not just a, a story to involve people. I wanted to really, I knew it was a bigger audience out there for this second book. And I decided, okay, I need, I wanted to give it away as well. So I came across a young man called Jack Havner who had been paralysed um, as a result of a surfing accident. And he really intrigued me because he was very similar in age to my own son. And, I, and my son is also called Jack. And something about this young man, really, I just, I, anyway, so I contracted him and he got half the money. And then I, I came across the programme, the Waterford, the High Hopes Choir, sorry, it was Dublin, Cork and Waterford at the time. Um, David Brophy uh, set it up. I'm sure people will remember it back in 2014 in November. Mm. And I just looked at that and I remember thinking, oh my God, they're doing, they're living through adversity. That's what my book is about. And then I set off on a journey to find David Brophy, and I did. And then he said to me, I can't in, let you talk to any of the people in the choir because they're, they're, um, they're, you know, they're involved with social workers and they're protected yeah. by, by other people because those people are very vulnerable and they're fragile. Anyway, so to make a long story short, uh, my friend in Waterford, we'd lived there for 10 years, contacted the manager of the, um, the Vincent de Paul Hospital in okay. Waterford and he told him what I was doing and he trusted me. And I rang him and said, look, I have no agenda here. I just want to be able to give this money away to some charity. And I went down and I met them and the rest basically is history. <laughs> and he, honestly, yeah, I had no idea where I was going with that. I landed down, I spoke to them and I knew if they didn't like me, they wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. But thankfully they liked me. And they liked what I was doing and um, came back up anyway and finished my book and they got half the proceeds. And I thought I was just going to hand over a cheque. Uh, no, no, it was totally no, different. They no. invited me to different things. And it was so interesting. And I'm still involved with them to this day, seven years later, eight years, nearly eight years later. Tell know? me about your own singing and having an opportunity to sing at Electric Picnic with the High Hopes Choir. Oh, that was, yeah. We went to Electric Picnic and they were invited down there in uh, 2016, actually. And um, so they invited me to come along and we went along and we sang. Um, There's a place called the Trailer Park. It's for people who are not well known at all. They're all, you know. (laughs) It's where all the cool stuff happens. Are you crazy? The ukulele bands and it's it's where everybody... Who wants to yeah. step away from the madness um, and, and hang out for a while? Hang out. Yeah. Don't understand anyway, the trailer park. It's one of the best bits. Fabulous. Anyway, so we ended up there anyway, and apparently it was the biggest crowd ever that came along to see the um, the High Hopes Choir singing. So it was just an amazing day. I mean, I mean, imagine and a man called Bert. He's in the book actually. He died recently. It was about two years ago. He was eighty six. 
and he sang at Electric Picnic. He blew the crowd away. He sang My Way. He oh, just got wow. up and David Wolfe said to him, do you want to sing? And he said, yes, I do. And he started singing. It's actually, on, if anybody wants to do, it's actually on YouTube. If you just YouTube Electric Picnic and High Hope Choir, um, it'll come up. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. And to show you how mind-blowing it was, my, my son was in the audience and um, he was out in front, you know, and he he saw it from. It's actually in the book. His story about the his uh, about what he's experienced is in the book as well. It's it's fantastic. So he came back to me when we were finished, came off the stage, and he was crying. And I said, "My God, Jack, are you okay? What's happened?" We said, "Mom, I just can't tell you how much that moved me." He was so emotional at the at this man singing um, my way, and he was eighty six years of age, and it just. You just couldn't get over the, mm. the fact that that would happen. And so the book, in the book, you'll read Jack's version of his um, his view of what happened. And it's just really interesting. He's 26 years of age. And to see this man of 86, yeah. you know, singing, it was just very emotional. And that, I suppose, in a way, the choir was open to any age. Anybody can take part and they looked after him so well in the choir because he was very feeble, but he was a very popular um, part of it. And uh, just an amazing experience. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I never thought I'd be doing that in a million years. No. You know, just and you tell, like that. Yeah, you tell lots of stories in, in the book. But tell me yeah. overall, what what's your experience of the power of song, having having been part of the singing, having met and spoken to so many people? I just, I can't, there's no, I, I suppose words in many ways fail me because music is so powerful and it's so uplifting. And um, the choir for the people in the choir, um, it just brings them to a place where they would never, they can go come in to practice every Wednesday evening and they can leave the troubles outside the door and they're a family and they just learn, they just want to be together and sing. And you know, they're really actually very, very good. And uh, they really, um, they just find so much hope and life through the music. Um, that's what it's about. It's not about being perfect. It's about being together. And some, some very good singers in the choir. But, you know, in a strange way, I was thinking today, my book is, I know it's about a choir in Waterford, mm. but really it could be anyone's story. The stories are so uplifting. It could be a choir in Athlone. It could be a choir in Mullingar. It doesn't have to be actually Waterford. It just happens to be where I, um, I found the choir. So it's just a very inspiring story of hope and light and how music can bring you to a place that you never expect it. There's one little thing. One guy said to me one day, he said, Kathy, you know, when we do a concert, the, the feeling from the audience stays with me for days afterwards. The affirmation and the applause for somebody who's down, you know, not feeling very well, that for him was just so powerful. And I'll never forget it. And that's what the choir means to those people. You know, it's so important. Yeah. And and for the book, you also knocked on some doors to get other people to share some of their stories. Uh, how did you get on with Glenn Hansard and Luke O'Neill? I mean, I literally went to the Internet and found Luke O'Neill's number in Trinity College. And I just emailed him and said, look, I'm doing this book. And I, I, you know, I know he loves music, you see. Yeah. And he came back to me and said, OK, Kathy, what do you want? I think, oh, my God, what do I want? Okay, so I went back there and said to him, look, I know you love music, so could you write a little story about um, music and how it affects our immune system? And his story is very short, but it's very interesting and just talks about how music is so uplifting and it just brings you to a place where maybe nothing else can. Mm -hmm. Um, That was 
he was very, very generous. Oh, yeah, it was very funny because I said to him, you know, Luke, I will not be able to give you any money for this piece because I don't have the money. So, you know, this is going to be, you have to do this for charity. Yeah. <laughs> he and he never didn't mind, did he? No, I don't think so. No, he never <laughs> gave me that impression. So, yeah. so anyway, he came back to me and said, look, at Kathy, I've done the story for you. The best of luck. And very nice. I thought it was very nice of him. And then Hansard came to me through a friend of a friend. And again, he, he rang me one day or I rang him one day. And um, I actually said to him, like, why did you, why did you, why did you pick out my email above other emails that you would get loads of emails? And he said, look, I know people who are out for themselves and I know people who are out for other, for other people mm. and care. And he said, I know you're one of those people, you know. So it was lovely to think that he would treat trust me and he shared his story. And um, he was, I mean, he's very involved in homelessness himself. Course, yeah. And, um, you know, he was a really, anyone I picked was probably a person involved in music or homelessness or something to do with, you know, the people on the margins. They were, they were picked for a reason. And again, Mikon Amorahertik was absolutely fabulous. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. He was just an amazing man. He's just a beautiful person. And that was, again, very interesting story about him and how hope, he really loved the word hope and where hope can take you. Mm. And if you don't have hope in your life, you know, you're missing something, I suppose, really. And the Deer Park girl has raised €12,000 for the choir just with this book so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it's um, because we, we, we... we got donations from people to to publish the book and to print the book, and uh, we got more than we needed. And it was a win-win because I said to people, "If you give me the money, you know, whatever's left over will go to the choir." So, you know, so they got three and a half thousand straight away. And then between people, my my husband and I have sold an awful lot of books. And when you buy the book from me, it's only ten euro. And the reason it's ten euro is because um, we were able to pay for all our expenses. And the publisher said to me, you can you can name your price. And so basically, I knew that I could put it at 10 euro, which sell a lot of copies, yeah. and it has really paid off. So it's a beautiful book. I mean, it really is a beautiful book. Um, so, it's, I mean, it should be really at 20 euro or maybe 15, but it kept it at 10 to appeal to everybody's pocket and everyone's yeah. financial situation. And um, it's, I said, it really is a very uplifting story. Um, and I know a lot of people have come back. It's got some amazing feedback different people and it's been just lovely um, and the choir of course are very happy with the publication and what it means for them as well you know finally Cathy uh, where can people get it if they would like to get hold of it okay so I think I'm, I, I'm going to give out my email number uh, my email address sorry it's Cathy A McCarthy at gmail.com um, or you can buy you can order it online at www.waterford.highhopes.com dot com okay. and dot com that's that's my own that's me that's just me so when you when you order it online it comes to my home address and um and you'll be pens. popping it in the post so, so I pop it in the post there's no big staff <laughs> in houses behind the scene it's me getting well, getting there going out and buying the stamp or the envelope and sending it off to you. Well done. So, um, well done. Well listen really thank it. you so, so much Thanks a million oh, for talking thank to us and thanks for the work you're doing. It's terrific. Thanks a million, and Claire. You're very kind. Not at all. Not Take, at care. All. Take care of yourself. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is Athlone native Cathy McCarthy. And she says, Cathy A. McCarthy, it's Cathy with a C, Cathy A. McCarthy at gmail.com or the Waterford High Hopes website. It's all there ahead of you. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with a song that is mentioned in the book. Uh, it is... Um, 
Ralph McTell's the, the Streets of London, because one of the stories in the book tells of um, uh, one of the characters. His name was Mousy and he battled homelessness and drug addiction in England. And uh, he chose that particular song and he said to her that he had lived every single word of it. So we'll come back with that after the break here on Encore on Midlands 103 083 if you'd like to drop a line. And that is the extraordinary Ralph McTell singing the song chosen by one of the contributors in Kathy McCarthy's wonderful book. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back it's to a book of a very different kind. It's a thriller and it is the thriller du jour so to speak written by Edel Coffey. Stay with us on Encore to hear a little bit more about that. And you're welcome back to Encore. A woman makes a fatal and unintended mistake. Her baby left in a hot car. The consequences of that unintended and horrific incident play out in Edel Coffey's book, Breaking Point. And Edel's is a familiar voice, usually heard on my side of the microphone. She's a reporter, she was an arts journalist and indeed a reviewer. And when I chatted to her recently, I asked her to tell me what it was like for her to be on the other side of the microphone and to have her book in her hand rather than being than reviewing somebody else's. It feels very strange indeed, Claire. It really does. And also, um, it's it's funny. My first interview I did was actually with a journalist that I know quite well and have known for probably about 15 years. And I think that was even more difficult than being interviewed by a stranger. It's, um, it's a very weird experience to be on the other side because um, I'm, I, I have a, a newfound respect and admiration for people who do interviews. I remember interviewing people before and they say, oh, I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say enough or talk enough about this. And I'd always be like, you'll be fine. It'll be great. And now I understand the deep fear that comes with being interviewed. It's very scary. And I suppose when you're interviewing someone, you're the one in control and, you know, you can ask the questions and then you sit back and they they answer I'm not saying it's easy, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, there's different challenges on either side, let's just say. And I'm a masochist who wants to experience both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious then, of all the kinds of books that you that you could have written, why a thriller? Did, did it start out as a thriller or did it become a thriller? It's so funny because in I, I hadn't defined it at all and it's only, in my mind, it only became a thriller in the last like month or couple of months since people started reading it and started describing it as that and that was really interesting to me because in my head it was just a story that was looking at these issues about how we live now and sort of how frenetically we live and all of the you know crazy pace we lived at or really wanted to look at that and then um you know it started to get out there into people's hands and people started reading it and describing it as a thriller, describing it as a crime novel. Um, and I was really intrigued by that. And I'm very happy for it to be described as any of those things. Um, I know that like my publisher was thinking of it as kind of book club um, book or literary crossover was another phrase. But really, for me, I think readers define the book. So whatever you want to call it yourself is fine by me. I'm just happy that people are reading it. I'm happy they're buying it and they're talking about it. So um, it doesn't really matter. I was thinking, actually, Claire, I was thinking, did um, the the way I wrote it, which was quite quickly um, and under a lot of sort of time pressure, I did wonder, did that sort of make it um, 
a bit pacey in in and of itself because I was desperately sort of writing against the clock trying to get it finished and you know in the small bit of time that I had uh, to write it so maybe that kind of had a, a positive influence on it in that it made it um made it fast it made it pacey and page turnery which like if you had asked me years ago you know what kind of book do you want to write I would have said um you know something very beautiful and quiet and uh delicate and you know book a prize winning obviously as well (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's, it's funny the book that you write and the book that you think you write um I think they're all just determined by the story you want to tell and by the environment you're writing it in um so, so yeah, this, it's been really interesting to sort of see how it's being received because you don't, I, I don't think you have any idea of what kind of book it is. Like you just tell the story as a writer. That was my experience anyway. Maybe it's just that I didn't have time to think about <laughs> what kind of story or book it, it, it was in terms of category, but I'm happy for it to be received in that way. I, I, I wonder, you know, you, you talk about the, uh, how long, how long did it take you to write it? So it's really hard to answer this question and I'm going to have to sit down one day and just try to figure out from emails and um, conversations how long it actually took because everyone asks me that and I don't really know is the answer. But I feel like it took um, about a year, but it also took like five years if you consider that I had the idea back in 2017 and, you know, I submitted it in 2020 and then we edited it so it feels okay. like you know the story was written quickly but there is a long process as well in of terms course, of like yeah. thinking about it and then editing it so so yeah kind of, I'm going to say one year and um, I'm going to check back on my diaries and see if I can come up with a better um, <laughs> a better answer than that well, or a more yeah. definitive one because I feel like I give an answer in every different interview about that question. I'm like, I'm not really sure. But I know that I sort of finished it around January 2020 out of frustration, really, because I was I, I think at that point I had been writing it for definitely the good part of the previous year. And I just thought I'm going to be here next January again. And, you know, all those feelings we have in every January where we're like, right, this is the year I changed my life. <laughs> So that was the motivation to send it out. So I'm pretty sure it was around a year okay. in the making. Um, I tell me about the the character of S- Susanna and where she came from and the crisis that emerges in her life, which is every woman's worst nightmare. Um, yeah. where did where did that yeah. come from for you? You say you had the idea for a long time. Yeah, so, you know, I I became a mother in 2015 for the first time, and it was a big sort of culture shock for me. Um, I, I just, you know, it was one of those things where you can't imagine or you have an idea of what it will be like, but actually it's, it's different to how you imagined it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's very busy. It's sleep deprivation sleep deprivation is kind of unreal and you're very busy all the time and you're you know 100% responsible for this tiny human being and you know it's a huge responsibility um and I was aware of you know the pressure of doing too many things at once because I have two older stepchildren who live with us as well and um, I had two babies, you know, within two years. And so there were four very small children and each of them has different demands. 
And the whole time I just remember thinking about, you know, this is crazy. This is, you know, you're always on. There's always something to be done. You know, by the time you get to bed at night, you're trying to sort of make sense of the day and plan for the next day. And it feels like there's, you never relax. You never stop worrying. And then there was a news story about a baby who had been forgotten in a car in 2017. And tragically, this thing happens a lot in America. It happens a lot in Australia, obviously, because of the weather there, the heat, mm. the temperatures are so much higher than here. And and I remember like watching Oprah as a kid. I loved Oprah as a kid. Still love Oprah. Uh-huh. But I remember watching Oprah as a kid and, and seeing these news stories about hypothermia um, being reported. And, you know, it really sort of stayed with me, obviously, because it's such a it's such a traumatic um thing to happen and I probably shouldn't have been watching it as a kid but I was um and yeah and so that new story it just frightened me a lot because I felt like I really understood how easily something like that could happen I was really sleep deprived I was really sort of burnt out and running on empty and I just started to think like yeah you know this it's so unfair you know one wrong move and something terrible could happen and it seemed to me to sort of be representative of of everything that was wrong with how we were living now and I had started to think about that because of how sort of pressurized I felt as a mother and that was a new thing for me I was used to stress like as a journalist but I coped with it perfectly well but as a mother I felt like I felt like I was close to dropping the ball you know a lot of the time it felt like if I make one wrong move it could be catastrophic so Mm -hmm. um that's when I kind of started to think about it um, and then probably started to write it, yeah, 2019, when my um, when my youngest went into Montessori for a few hours a day and I actually had time, you know, in that sense I had a little bit of time to do it, but it was, it was in my head and I was thinking about it a lot. So Susanna, I wanted to make her really um, high achieving and really sort of brilliant. Um, she's a, she's a professor, she's a consultant doctor she's mm. um sort of tv tv guru like she's called dr sue that's her media personality and she gives advice to parents so she's in this like really prominent public um bubble. position exactly yeah. a bubble like and she is a celebrity and she's really wealthy as well she's got this enviable lifestyle so i wanted to set her up as this person who kind of has everything and i wanted to show that even this person that people really respected and this person who had all of the resources at her disposal, even this person, you know, because motherhood is sometimes I feel like this explosion in your life and all of your resources that you've had to date kind of mean nothing because, you know, in, in other situations you might apply rationale to something, but like you can't rationalize a baby. They just don't work that way. No. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I wanted to sort of show that, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you know, you can still be completely overstretched and you can still be completely burnt out and you can still, um, you know, not have have it all in the way that you might have expected you were going to have it all or in the way that people look at you and think you have it all. And this is not just the story of Susanna. This is, there's, a, there's another character in this story who, te- who reflects Adelaide. another part of your life in that other yeah. way although I don't think you, you you're, you've been primarily an arts journalist um, yeah. were you on the beat in the days before 
Um, I, in early days, like I rapidly got out of news journalism because I knew it wasn't for me that kind of hard news reporting. I, I really found it very difficult to cold call people and to sort of doorstep people. It's yeah. not really my personality. And I, I found it so difficult. Like I'd leave things really late. You know, if you put on a story and I'd let two days go past building myself up, working myself up to ringing the person or calling <laughs> the person. And I'd leave it until I had like two hours to file the story because I was just so I did, I was so terrified of it. And now I was, I was dealing with that, like my first year as a journalist, a cub reporter, you know, you're thrown in and you're just made to do everything. And yeah. I really, you know, it was just, it wasn't, um, it didn't suit my personality. But then I got into art journalism and I really enjoyed that. But Adelaide is, um, she's, she's a journalist and she works for the New York Times. And I think there's a certain amount of wish fulfillment there, writing about a journalist <laughs> who works for the New York Times. I was Times just, about, I just about to say she treads the path <laughs> that, that you didn't tread in that sense. And, exactly. and she And she is a, a hard-nosed news journalist. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, do you know what, I think that, instinct is in every journalist whether you're a news journalist or whether you're an arts journalist um i think once you've been doing um once you've been a reporter for a while once you're an experienced reporter you start to get a good feeling for a story you start to get um a nose for it and there's i think there's a dichotomy in how you approach a subject so you can be empathetic and you can be, um, you know, understanding and you can be emotional, even though it's not advised as a journalist to get involved. But, you know, sometimes you can't help it. But also there is a part of you that is putting a narrative on the story. There's a part of you that's um, shaping the story, that's taking out details. Like, and you can't help it. You just start to view um, life through the lens of a story really I think you know and you can see how some journalists become hardened in that way um, and I hope that I haven't become like that but yeah it's, it's it's a part of the job I think but I really enjoyed writing Adelaide because as I said there was a certain amount of wish fulfillment there but also I felt on quite safe ground writing those scenes and I could sort of you know, I knew what it was like to be in a newsroom. I knew um, the terrible things people say in newsrooms, you know, when you're just among journalists and it's just about filing to deadline and getting the story. And it's just, you know, all uh, room for nicety is just taken out and yeah. you just have to speak very bluntly. And I think um, when people come into that situation for the first time, it's quite shocking Um I know as a young journalist, uh, you know, certain places I worked, um, you know, there was there were moments of sort of, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is new. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it, it was fun to write that. I really enjoyed. And it's really enjoyable to read as well. She brings so much of her life experience and wisdom uh, to that book. It's Breaking Point by Adele Coffey, wherever it is you get your books at the moment. And that is it from Encore. The great Joe Cooney is in the building, I do believe, and he'll be here with the best of Irish and American country music after the news at eight o'clock. I'll be back in this seat again next week with, thanks be to God, I'm so excited that it's back, the Mount Melick one 
uh, Drama Festival is back. I'll also be chatting to Sheila Forsey about why you should be part of Scripts. And I'll also be chatting to Brendan Fox about Fween Square in Offaly. Uh, Fween Square even. I'll also be back tomorrow evening between 7 and 8 with Anurawa Hjol Isfar Eron Radio Idrishacht agus Ahocht at Clog. So be lumsa amorach or next week on Encore. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Good night. <laughs>